Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to my good, bad brain. I'm a normal person, so I'm insane. I've got depression and ADHD, but I'm doing better since I medicated me. I'm still not always sure whether I exist or what being a person even really is. But I figured out a long time ago that being alive is It's my good bad brain. Um, so, as the world continues to be wacky, to say the least, I think a lot of us are wondering what the fuck we're supposed to do or what's going to happen in this moment. Some of us aren't wondering. I mean, I don't know. I think a lot of us are wondering. I mean, what I was going to say is that some of us aren't wondering. Some people have the choice made for them. They have no other choices. We have no other choices. I saw this thing the other day that was like, you know, eight, nine hour lines outside of unemployment office. Um, I forget which state it said it was. And someone retweeted it saying like, you know, hey, the experience that people who have the ability to work from home take their job and keep doing it just from home and the rest of America is really different right now. And I was thinking about that thinking about how crazy it is that everybody's reopening just this incredibly risky time and that so many people 40 million americans something like that are are filed for unemployment now that uh i mean who knows maybe the government will fill in the gap maybe they'll extend benefits maybe they'll keep keep staving it off but based on the responses of police to things and the response of the conservative wing of the government the fascist government i mean they really are fascism i mean you know people don't like you you know i think some people maybe don't like that term i mean they must like that term because they think antifa anti-fascists are bad guys but just means ultra nationalists you know ultra nationalists who you know seem to glorify militarism and sort of blindly believe in their version of nation and there's always some kind of like supremacy tied into it usually white supremacy right anyway all this going on all this craziness some people i think a lot of people 
kind of have this option to try to like lay low and duck out of it. You know what I mean? To like not speak up. I mean, I could. I'm white, you know, I'm male, cis, straight. It's pretty fucking sitting easy for me. I'm, uh, you know, in a in an okay situation financially. Like, just I'll be okay, you know. So I think a lot of people like that. You know, we could just sit it out you know, figure out which way the wind's going to blow, kind of do the both sides-ism thing. I was talking to my brother. He's got some friends, you know, who are really into doing the both sides thing. And it's like, fuck, why? Just because you're afraid of making somebody mad at you? You know, I don't know. I really, um, I don't know. I don't think, uh, I don't think any of us are free until we're all free. I just don't, I don't know. And I don't know how we could live in a world where we're okay just, being okay when other people aren't okay uh anyway so part of the anxiety that went into the conversation in this episode has to do with uh increasing violence around the country you know and not just uh police violence obviously and that sort of institutional violence but you know the increase uh there's lynchings happening all over the country that the authorities don't want to call that and um and that's scary. Uh, and also, the fact of the utility of violence seeming evident in the success of ro- protests and the riots, frankly. That um, the message that the government has given people in need, basically, is, you know, we did peaceful protesting a long time. People did a lot of voting. They did a lot of, uh, you know, re- lobbying and requesting and making their voices heard. And the sort of people in power just said, oh, good job, you're making your voice heard, and did nothing. And then told them that peaceful protest is the only way. And then all these people did a little bit of disruption just in the form of protest, some property damage that I think is completely legitimate form of protest. And, uh, oh, what do you know? Things start changing. So what do you tell people? What happens when that happens? You tell them peaceful protesting is like the only way through? And it made me think, and then, you know, <laughs> clearly the violence that you guys use all the time on people to control people, that's, you know, obviously that's not nonviolent work. That seems to work for you. And all of a sudden you're listening when we do it. So you get into this tricky idea. When you're good people, you're disinclined towards any kind of violence. You're disinclined towards, even in defense, you just don't like hurting people. Nobody likes hurting people. I mean, <laughs> Nobody I know. I don't know. It's the worst. I, I, on record, talking about how I'm attracted to violence. I like doing violence. I love sparring and fighting and video games and stuff. I don't like hurting people. There's a very intense distinction in my mind. But I guess this, this phrase always uh, echoes in my head about like the utility of violence and um, this, this notion of, um, you know, so there's some very glib martial artsy thing they say I've heard is <laughs> uh, violence is never the answer, but when it is the answer, it's the only answer. You know, that um, there's this kind of like disingenuous thing in the powers that be telling you nonviolence is always the answer. Is a, it's no, you don't get anything done without, in that like they use it all the time. And it seems like a way to kind of take away a tool of protection and empowerment from you. And this is a uh, crazy sounding rhetoric maybe, but 
I think part of the reason it's important to think about these things is that not even in terms of physical violence, right? Just emotional, just conflict. People are so averse to it that it's scary to stand up for what you believe in. It's scary to disagree with people. The fear of any kind of disruption that could be described as violent, which even like disagreements emotionally, right? Uh, stop. They force people who are in positions of privilege to feel that they should do some with both sidesism. What do you know? Uh, and on top of it, violence, which is present every day and systemic, is something that people don't recognize. The violence of private prisons, of uh, standard policing practices, which allow for so much uh, prerogative on the part of the individual officer, that a culture of racism is all you need, even if the policies written are quote-unquote fair, you know, which they're not. But So I think that, I guess I wanted to introduce this notion of talking about violence, the utility of violence, I guess, and sort of getting, because I think if you're a good person, I don't think it's crazy to say if you're a good person, you're a nonviolent one. If you're a good person, you don't jump to violence as a first option to get your way. You don't jump to disagreement or um, violent my way or the highway type rhetoric, and you certainly don't jump to physical violence ever, you know? Um, and there's a weird sort of dichotomy, I think, that being uncomfortable with it, not facing it, when it feels like time to increase, you know, accelerate your rhetoric or your energy or your... Um, just that it becomes appropriate to escalate to a point of disagreement to stand up for yourself or somebody else. If you are unused to the fear feeling in your body, the adrenaline that you get, the the sort of uh, shakiness, the emotion that comes with those sort of violent, energized spaces, I think you can overreact and make situations worse than they should be. And that's not good either. You know, being able to hold on to your, your cool or whatever, hold on to your button. So I guess I wanted to talk about that stuff today and there's a lot of discussion in here about that. Um, a lot of history that we learn whitewashes out any sort of active resistance. They want you to only think people just talked and marched and that was all that got things done. I just, I'm of concerned about where things are going in this world. And to wrap it around to this sort of mental health sort of thing, I just want to say to all the people out there who have, because if you have a mental health issue, you are already an outsider. You're already somebody that, the powers that be, the people who really need therapy and will never get it, they'll consider you a freak, they'll consider you weird, they'll consider you degenerate, something about you. Just having empathy and sympathy makes you somebody that's not on the side of the powers that be, you know? And uh, the same way in pop psychology and popular culture related to mental health, we've done a good job of sort of all starting to learn that we're allowed to have boundaries, we're supposed to have boundaries, you know, that boundaries are it's sort of like that notion of like good fences make good neighbors but like it's true if you if you can prevent yourself from being entangled emotionally with people around you you know where you start and they they take off that kind of thing is is really important right to know like when somebody's mad at you that it's not that you're the worst person in the world necessarily maybe they're just mad at you you know these kinds of things and so you learn emotionally to guard yourself and stand up for yourself and i just want to introduce this notion of engaging. I mean, we've talked about it before, but again, engaging with things that make you uncomfortable 
In the same way, I think anybody would agree like, hey, you have to face your sexuality. You know, that's, you know, I think facing violence is important as well. It's part of being a mature adult and understanding that there are people out there who have no fear about using violence against you. And I think more often than not, we see it as emotional violence and spiritual violence, you know, oppressive sort of energies. And just knowing you're allowed to stand up for yourself, that's hard for me. That's hard for me to do. It always has been. But uh, I think I just want people who listen to this show, people who are sensitive people, caring people, loving people, they're also very vulnerable. And I want you to know that you are worth fighting for and people like you are worth fighting for and people unlike you are worth fighting for. And that thing again, none of us are free until we're all free. And none of us are free until we're all well, until we're all taken care of, until we're all like, okay, so there's a seat at the table for everyone. So we talked about that today. We talked about that the episode of notions of violence, utility of violence, familiarizing yourself with violence. And I don't think it's necessarily for everyone. Sort of, I'll use that sexuality uh, analogy again too. You know, if you are an asexual person, no one would say, oh, you should face your sexuality. You should come up with this and invent it. No. Some people are going to be naturally aviolent, probably, pacifistic. And that's good. That's like not a bad quality to have. I just want you all to be safe. And I want you to know that you're worth fighting for. And if it is fear that limits you from facing this or engaging with it, learning about it, strengthening yourself in the face of it, um, then I invite you to think about that and maybe work to overcome that. Learn the power in your own hands and your heart. And don't be afraid of conflict. I'm not talking about picking fights. I'm just saying don't be afraid of conflict. Don't be stuck in the frozen zone of like, is this person attacking me? Is this person attacking me? And obviously in a physical sense, but also emotionally. Don't feel like you have to you know, be apologetic about everything for standing up what you believe in. You know, politeness, politeness rhetoric really just ensures the status quo stays strong and present. And the status quo in our country is fucking bad. It's fucking bad for a lot of people, you know? Anyway, I adore you guys. Uh, These are just some of my thoughts today, which I will continue to share, I guess. I don't know. I mean, this is tied into a lot of things. You know, there was more. uh, We'll talk about it later. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. I was going to say there's more. It's just this sort of thing of engaging with our animal parts and putting them in a healthy container. Anyway. All right. Thanks, guys. I'm going to let this thing roll. It was a good talk. We'll see you guys again Sunday at 10 a.m. If you want to join for the live stream, youtube.com slash jsleeper. See ya. It is ending in LA, huh? People are just fucking doing whatever now. They're doing whatever. I mean, like, okay. So, hello, everyone. This is Good Bit Brain, as usual. And I'll just say up front, I'll probably say this in an intro when I do the little podcast this week. But, you know, last week, Dr. Nick and I were talking about, oh, hey, Terry, what's up? Welcome, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Last week, um, Dr. Nick and I were talking about, you know, I... I've talked about it for a long time. I don't think you can talk about the mental health or whatever without talking about the material realities of the world and social issues or whatever. And we kept texting about it. And I was like, maybe we'll just change the name of the pod to like Social Workers Party and just get like expressively, like uh, explicitly political all the time. Um, so we'll probably continue that trend. Um, I just think it's, 
I, I think it's what's the word I'm looking for? I want to say like idle to to like stick your head in the sand and be worried about like to only talk about like self care in the sense of like with no effect with no I don't know the big the biggest thing yeah. I'm talking to you more consistently. I said this last week. The biggest thing talking to you, Doctor Nick, more consistently and having somebody who. I don't know. I feel like you described me once like social work is like psychology applied to the real world, dealing with systems and deal like dealing with a real positive effect, like positive, not good. You know what I mean? Like um, effective, you know, uh, techniques and methods dealing with an actual system of public funding. And, you know, how, how does that happen? Like, how do you not just uh, like the opposite of somebody you pay 160 or 200 or $300 an hour to listen to your dreams on a couch. And they're like, I think it means this about your mom, like the opposite of the idea of what psychology is. And I think talking about that and this sort of material approach to saying like, uh, what are your values? What kind of person do you want to be? And then are you figuring out steps to make yourself more that person from a mental health standpoint? Um, then kind of carries out into everything. And I just think uh, any sort of like, I, I don't know. I think I think there's truth to limit your exposure if it's becoming too much, if, you're, if it's making you ineffective, uh, then yeah, stop, turn the news off for a little bit, figure out, like collect yourself. But the answer isn't, and then you're fine. Whoa, you turned it off and the problem's gone. Just don't, just keep doing that. That's not a solution. And, uh, and so that's never going to be our solution here. And so in that being said, in these times, yes, we're going to be much more explicitly just talking about political stuff more often and things like that. So, uh, I don't want to like, uh, uh, I just don't want anybody unprepared for that. (laughs) This isn't going to be like typical, not that if you're around, you already know that. So anyway, I don't know what I'm saying that for because we're going to keep being my good, bad brain probably for the foreseeable future. I was like, I don't know, but I don't know. We're, we're just talking about it and this is going to be more the content often. That being said, this past week, um, I did have a long talk yesterday with um, Allie and with my brother and just about like things I was going through. And I was, I kind of realized that like, we were talking about the notion of uh, you know, this thing they say better to be a gardener or better be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. This idea of like, which is interesting because I always talk attached with martial arts and stuff in the past. I kind of make fun of self-defense type uh, people who are like hardcore reality-based quote-unquote self-defense people because I'm like, you're you're living with a terrorist every day. Like you are, you know, this, this sort of, you're bringing yeah. a thing into your life that's imaginary. I think it's, uh, the way I'm feeling about it is that... I know this is long winded, but I'm just well, bear with me. That like the the now some of that isn't imaginary. Like there is some some reason that preparing yourself for like negative things out there and negative people might not be crazy. It might not be like imaginary, and it might actually be like healthy for you in the long term to do things like that. But also, I realized the way I was dealing with the anxiety and stress of how awful people are and things are and, and how like, you know, ungrounded society's uh, feeling and, and things that our government's doing and things like that um, response for like reactionary responses that are so unexpected, just, you know, defending violence and stuff. Um, maybe a way I was dealing with the stress was by, diving way too far in and too hyper-focusing and like only making my life about this 
thing for, you know, and, and like steps I can take to feel like I had a, a handle on it. And I like had this moment where I was like, oh, I'm deep in a, I don't know if anxiety response is correct or, you know, something, something that on the surface was looking like this is, I'm fine. <laughs> fine. And then we talked about it a little bit and I start like tearing up like immediately. And I'm like, I'm very worried. I'm very afraid for everybody. And I'm scared. Uh, you know what I mean? And I'm like, Oh, I really am. And so I was like, I think, uh, it's important to be honest with myself about like moderating that intensity understanding it's a long game thing and then also i'll say like just in some of the like preparations and like i think this idea of like boys and doomsday prepping stuff is like especially me and my stuff that i'm into and what i like it feels like it's gonna be fun it's like a fun silly fun hobby but like as i was like doing some supply stuff with my brother i was just like this is dark i don't like that this is happening i've i've ali i thought it would feel much better having my lovely liberal you know smart girlfriend tell me wow you were right about like certain things that i was worried about in society or fascist trump or whatever you'd think it would feel better to be right but it just feels dark and scary and i don't like it i don't like thinking about the realities of the systemic like violence that exists and that those when that truth is being spoken to these powerful units that they are their response is to lock down and get more reactionary and more violent and defend it. And that just doesn't bode well for where things will go. And it just all felt very, yeah, very dark and scary. Yeah. It's not fun, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyway, I, I so I don't know. So I, was, I thought I uh, maybe we could talk a little about that same old thing about like <clears throat> what's the appropriate level of um, sort of like self, self-care-ish kind of stuff. But then also – you specifically, I feel good talking to because you've worked with veterans a lot and you're also like, I know your mindset around the things you do and, and, uh, martial arts and, and like Buddhism's kind of stuff. I guess I was uh, the, about that notion of being, um, a, a, a warrior in a garden kind of thing. Like this morning, I was talking about that with Ali again and with my brother, this idea of it. And she said, you know, doesn't that kind of like glorify violence though in a way that's weird? And I was like, I under here's what I thought about it. And this is what I said was I was like two things. One, I truly genuinely feel a lifetime of doing martial arts that gave me some both competency with violence and and more like comfort around it, but also um, an intense awareness of the consequences of it that you don't know what anyone can do to you and you do know what you can do to some people. And it just is not worth anything that when you are in these moments of conflict you're a lot less inclined to accelerate because you're not unused to the discomfort and so like you just never get in fights you just know how to de-escalate because you like take it seriously that's one and then two the other side of it for people who aren't inclined to like answer fight or flight with fights that's what i'm saying is like it both i think being aware of violence first makes you less inclined to obey the fight instinct of flight fight flight freeze but then also if you're somebody who's more inclined to flee or freeze uh, or freeze rather really flee hopefully flee is fine just get the fuck out of there but if you freeze that also i think especially if you're in a, a, a marginalized group of people or somebody who's like you, you know often subject to oppression by the majority cis white male class is like teaching you that you are worth fighting for is like a valuable lesson to feel a sense of protectiveness around yourself you know, people will have it for other people easily, but I was like, that has value. And that like, 
yes, like cis white straight men don't probably need to learn as a as a class that I'm worth fighting for, <laughs> but a lot of other people do. I think women do. I think minority people some you know times do. It just do you know what I'm saying? Like that there are values. So those are the two thoughts uh, I, I was interested in talking about this idea of a warrior in a garden and not letting it get away with from you. Where like now you are glorifying violence or you're just becoming obsessed with this dark concept. But how like yeah. it can help prepare you and um and then i have another question later but i'll bring that up later i mean i think so these are you know timely and interesting topics i would you know i would say a couple of things i think one is we as a culture are obsessed with violence yeah i I personally am very interested in violence i think you know kind of normative expression of, of violence the way violence is kind of understood uh in society the way that we kind of get really incoherent mixed messages about violence in our society i think that that kind of incoherent mixed messaging um is a smokescreen for what is just in reality an american obsession with violence i mean we just is it i don't certainly american but is he do you think it's just american like that that's not uh look i mean look violence is a it's squarely in the repertoire of normal human behavior i mean it's mm-hmm. no, it's not as if violence is an aberrant phenomenon it, it isn't i mean it, that's just it's just empirically wrong to make a claim that somehow violence is aberrant it's not you know i mean we have like a social contract and within the rules of that social contract we normalize and excuse some types of violence and other types are not normal and all that stuff is like secondary you know i mean Mm -hmm. the the primary drive to protect yourself and exert your will against a resisting other by forcing them which is violence that's just you know that's mammal behavior you know so it's it's simply part of our repertoire behavior and we try to control that with our social rules govern behavior you know that's put it any more simply than that oh well of course like all kind of alien responses there are some people who through their own innate biology and their social learning behavior have you know uh, a real predisposition to responding with violence and that's you know its own kind of complex set of circumstances and then there are other people who are just less likely to do that because of their innate tendencies and their social learning and their environment and all this stuff. So I think, you know, that's what we have to understand first of all, is that one violence is one of the, um, within the normal repertoire of human behavior. Um, and two that we do have, I think, I think, yes, America has more of a national obsession with violence than other countries. I I do think that just culturally look at, look at the media that we create and export. Right. We have a we have a worship of violence. I mean, Absolutely. we just do, you know. Um you know? so I mean just look at the red our kind of national rhetoric and there I think there are probably several academic studies you could uh explore that would, you know, support this uh claim that I'm making. I think it's pretty clear. I mean, you know, what's what is like one of the core characteristics of American international identity that we prize our pride ourselves on our superior military. I mean, if you ask what like core American things are I, yeah. in three or four sentences, somebody's going to talk about the military. 
I mean, right. it's just, oh, you know, I think that's part of it. And then to your point about like, um, so given that is our kind of backdrop yeah. to your point about whether we focus too much on it. And I think it's, you know, fantasizing about violence is empowering, uh, some people. Some. So yeah, for some people, I think, um, fantasizing about violence to feel empowered and you feel drift and destabilized and worried, it's quite understandable, right? I mean, like, it feels like the world's going to shit. It feels like we can't trust our authority figures. It feels like there's a large group of people who just fundamentally misunderstands the reality in front of them, which is even more destabilizing. And that's scary, you know? And so what can we do to of make that feel less scary and take a little bit of control over the situation well we can sort of prepare for and fantasize about what we would have to do mm-hmm. if it came to like you know right. mass social violence that that some people will feel empowering for people who have like a more of a comfort level with violence it's going to feel more empowering you know for yes. people who are terrified of violence it's going to feel scarier yeah i think those things are those, those reactions are and normal within this context. I mean, I know? guess my my thought is like how how do okay like I don't know. I, I feel uh, I feel inside myself. I feel like this strange dichotomy of I really have fun doing violent stuff and I hate hurting people. Like anytime someone gets hurt, it's mortifying. Even doing jujitsu against equal people who are if somebody if you're going hard da, 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 and then and something goes wrong whether they slip or 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 they tap a little late you just feel miserable immediately like how how come i feel that way and other people don't 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 have that so this is the kind of key concept is consent you know sure. the key concept here i i think is consent when you are engaged in consensual violence Right. That is a different thing. That is an entirely different thing. Well, because certainly, certainly. But I said... Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to yeah. interrupt you. Please go, continue. Sorry, sorry. I was going to say, because cons- it's the same with, like, sexual behavior, you know? You can do kind of weird, kinky shit as long as it's consensual. It's okay. Yeah, you know? yeah. Truly consensual, not coercive. Con- that's not real consent. I mean, right. real consent. So, when we engage in, like, kind of... Know behaviors that are that tap into our deeper deeper kind of mammalian, you know, violent urges, and they're consensual. I think you know people who, in my mind, I would call moral people, can feel okay about that. Uh, That's why it's like I can enjoy watching like UFC. I don't enjoy seeing someone get like beat up in a street fight. I don't enjoy that. You know, because it's not really consensual. So I think that's also that concept of consent is so critical. And I think we can apply it at a larger level too. for example, this epidemic of police violence. Yeah. Like it, when you live in a civilized society, nobody should fucking put their hands on you exactly. without your consent. Right. Unless it's in my view to prevent immediate harm to someone else right. that can't be avoided in any other way, because exactly. the act of putting your hands on someone and controlling their behavior without their consent. It's such a violation of their personhood and their humanity that to me, it's the most serious thing you can do. Yes. So to do that without consent is unconscionable to me without an overriding directive, which is to protect other people involved in our social contract. 
which is why it is so enraging when you see like this guy who was shot in Atlanta. There's no reason to put your hands oh. on somebody who's fucking sleeping in his car. Yeah. There's no reason. That, on top of that, just shoot somebody as they run away from you when you're a police officer. For their ego, for their pride for their ego. and ego. They're ashamed to have had their taser stolen and afraid to be tased that they would rather murder someone, kill someone and take their life. As they're clearly leaving. As they're clearly away, going away, like de-escalating Who's going to get tased? Who's going to get tased with his own taser? But you know what? If you are so shitty at retaining your taser and you're so scared to get tased with it that you'd rather kill somebody, you can't do that job. I mean, just point blank. You, you can't, can't be effective job. in your job. So, but, but anyway, the point is, putting like police officers putting their hands on people right. who are not engaged in violence such a violation of our basic human dignity that I don't believe they should ever do that. Ever. Mm-hmm. Ever. No excuse. Yes. Take a picture, get their fucking address, and mail them a ticket. Yeah. Don't put your hands on people. Absolutely. Are imminently going to hurt someone else. There's yeah. just no reason for that. So that's, you know, so sorry for going off, but that, no, no, no. That's, that's my that's what I want. That's violence, but consensual violence right. is fundamentally different from non-consensual violence. Beautiful. It's fundamentally different. Sorry, I, okay, Terry, who's a, a, a good old friend and longtime good bad brain uh, person, would said this in the chat, and I think because I completely agree with you on this on this consensual violence thing, but because I want to move because there's another aspect of it that I, I kind of want to talk to you about is like figuring out how to moderate. So, so Terry said, not glorifying violence, it's liberating fear within the U.S. BIPOC. I hope it's okay to say it like that. Black and indigenous people of color are for, by BIPOC. I don't know. Tell me if I'm not supposed to say BIPOC. Um, are forced to use violence as a tool. Drugs, crime, quote, all the bad things of America to survive. 100%. Terry Bradley uh, continues, while white systemic privilege utilizes violence as a weapon to maintain agency. And that is true. And this is kind of like, this is kind of like also where I'm trying to talk about, because yes, I completely agree with you, obviously, about the consensual thing. That's the thing I think we've discussed in here before. But I'm there's this notion of like when is violence appropriate? So getting outside of the psychosexual version of it, the version of just like it's in us, we need a healthy way to put it out there because it's never appropriate in society. But I think the message of it's never appropriate. I don't think it's true. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Is like I'm I'm at this place where violence is dark and poisonous when it's the version of it that is about actual real I need it. We need it to you know, liberate this fear. We need it to, you know, it feels scary to face someone who really hates you or really, uh, or, or face the possibility even. They talk about in this, uh, it's so strange to me that book on killing, it's like, was so moving to me and such like, I would say one of the most important books I read in my life, this book on killing, it's uh, this guy Grossman, this, this uh, colonel something, lieutenant colonel in the army wrote this book about the psychology of killing and how fucking abhorrent it is to us instinctively to do violence against other humans, especially like lethal violence. It's really powerful. They talk about how like almost every war throughout human history, based on the records they can find. And then the real numbers they ran during like world war two, that they found that uh, there's this thing called like the soldiers like prerogative to miss that like uh, soldiers who attempted to shoot, to kill the enemy willfully um, has a, Damn, Terry. Damn. Terry just goes, history has made the color of our skin the consent to violence. Damn. 
damn, that's crazy. Uh, oof. But anyway, sorry, let me finish this thought. This is going to keep coming up. Was that like, uh, it was like 15 to 20%, like one, like less than one in five of soldiers who are trained to go fight fucking the Nazis, even in World War II, people who are like, these are bad people, whatever. Like you, they wouldn't try to kill the enemy. They pretend to shoot, so they look like they're doing their job, but they just won't do it because it's so abhorrent to us to, to hurt people. And I thought this was like a beautiful notion to realize. They talk about in the book um, how awful, they call it the wind of hate, that if you were close enough to see the enemy and feel like like how awful it felt that someone was trying to kill you, that you just felt, why are they doing this? Like why, it's like you could feel what they call the wind of hate. It's just an atrocious thing. It's such a failure of our common humanity and it would just like scar people. And to me, this is a very beautiful book to realize, wow, that's really wonderful to know like most, the majority of people. Turns out that the guy who wrote the book is a fucking total psychopath who like thought it was a problem to solve. And he did it. He like, he, they came up with all these methods of indoctrinating people. He teaches cops like these horrible warrior mindset fucking, like the guy who shot Philando Castile took like these bulletproof cop things that basically teach him to shoot first and ask questions later. It's fucking terrible. Like that you have to be, and, and on top of it all, like. The guy who's teaching everybody to, like, prepare yourself to kill. Mentally, you're, you can do it and all, all this horrible shit. Never killed anybody in his fucking life. In line of duty, never ever. It's like it's always these dead-eye fucking psychopaths who come – it's awful. Who tell other people to do it. But, but, but on that thing, I was thinking to myself, I was like, so we have this relationship to violence in this country where half of – broadly speaking, half of people are, like, like liberals and stuff who it's just like – they only are reinforced the narrative of nonviolent protests through MLK, which now I feel like is like a total fucking propaganda scheme. They don't talk about the deacons are defense and justice, and they don't talk about how anti-capitalist he was. It's just like they don't talk about Malcolm X in the same like positive terms they talk about MLK at all because of this like that any version of violence is bad and inappropriate. The same thing you see now when people see rioting or see like the burning of a police precinct, which is totally legitimate expression of like of protest and uh, declaration of like, you know, after this hundreds of years of systemic violence, which again, Terry, that's fucking really intense to think history. Yes. Has made the color of certain people's skins. They, they consent to violence automatically in the mind of the state. That that well, liberals that's can't see that that's appropriate. That, that that sometimes violence is appropriate as a as a political statement, as as just like a the correct motion to say like I deserve to survive and I deserve to thrive. And on the other side of it, why there are so many people who see a cop shoot somebody in the back or shoot somebody in the head who's like fucking handcuffed and not respond or just lean on someone's neck and go that's appropriate. That violence to them is an answer all the fucking time if it comes from authority. So yeah, what, how do you is, find this zone where you have you create a healthy relationship where people who are compassionate say, no, I'm allowed and, and people are allowed to use this to save their own goddamn lives and protect themselves and stand up for what is just. And the other side also starts to learn like, hey, that's a fucking awful way to think the world works, that authority is always allowed to yeah. kill you. Well, that, that's the problem. I mean, I would say, actually, I don't think it's the, the whole point is that it's not consent. And, Again, consent is an agreement between two equals, right? Equals right. in the sense that they sh- they have an equal access to power. Okay, so state violence and police violence doesn't involve any consent at all. We've simply passed laws to justify the use of force and violence against groups of people because just deem that to be okay. And you can trace the historical through line, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's the issue is that we've actually deprived the opportunity to withdraw consent from black people, from poor indigenous people, from people of color, from queer people, from trans people. We've said you don't get to be involved in the discussion of consent. You're just going to be a victim of state power. And people are so brainwashed they think that that makes it justified. Well, also, I mean, also, of course, they're fucking brainwashed. That Unkilling book talks about like the way they fucking fix the problem of human compassion is like operant conditioning. They would just change methods of like how they trained them so that when you saw a silhouette, you shot. And when you think about that and you're like, um, I mean, I literally said I used to say I was like when I was like a teenager going to do martial arts in the city with people from all these different backgrounds. Prior to that, living in like these white affluent suburbs, I was like. The most exposure I had to people of color was fucking, like, cops. You know what I mean? Like, you're programmed. And then, like, until you meet fucking human beings, you know? A lot of people don't. I mean... Which they don't. No. So I'm just like... Okay, I don't of course like you're saying hi to somebody in the office. I mean, like, going over to somebody's house, you know? Yeah. But anyway, I think the point is here that people say glorifying violence. I mean... I've never found a literary or like film example of glory that isn't inherently violent. So I think the idea of like that's interesting. glorifying violence. So I think the concept of glory, I mean, this is like from the Iliad, you know, the concept of glory is inherently violent. I mean, it inherently refers to the, the kind of victory in battle or violence. So I don't think you would use the term glory to describe something that's nonviolent. So the concepts are inherently linked. Okay. Then the second piece of that is that, oh, yeah, the second piece of that is that th- this idea of, you know, violence being inherently glorified, particularly in our kind of Judeo-Christian Western, Western-centric civilization and set of values and norms, that that does poison people's minds. That, yeah. that you know, that has become a pathway to manhood strength you know and we don't have alternative pathways that are based around scent and non-violent ways of maintaining social order we just shouldn't be using i mean i think it violates our other values to use violence mm-hmm. as a tool of maintaining or of of Maintaining social order in the sense of correcting minor deviations from the social mm-hmm. order, selling cigarettes, Insane. walking across the street, having a broken taillight, which we all know is just an excuse for profiling. Right. Using violence to correct those minor departures from our social order and only for a certain group of people. People are like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. No, it does make sense because we the culture that glorifies violence at the expense of the freedoms of certain groups. Of certain That's groups. just our history. It's not that it doesn't make sense. Th- those cops are doing what they were trained to oh, do. Thanks. That is the philosophy of that policing. Philosophy. It's not as if it's some aberrant, crazy thing. It's literally what they were trained to do, culturally inculcated to do. I mean, fucking, think about it. I mean, Terry, like, I mean, like, you know, Terry's indigenous and talks about that stuff like all the time. It's very important. It's like literally how we fucking programmed as children, cops and robbers, cowboys and Indians. You know what I mean? Like we're programmed, we're programmed this like hundreds of years of state. That is, 
that's the thing that keeps like I keep keeps coming back to me about all this stuff: systemic oppression, racism, like uh, crime, quote unquote, which Terry was talking about earlier. Which is again, we talked about this last week. Is like you guarantee capitalism guarantees unemployment, so you guarantee crime. Like that's how the systems work. Realizing that these things are features, not bugs, of the way our world is set up. That it's not like like the liberal idea that like no 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 we're gonna figure it out no that's that's just it, it, we're working it out is like such bullshit like these are things that are built into the system that is how the system even that notion that you're just saying of glorifying violence is so interesting because uh, like especially if you look back at like um, Iliad shit and uh, and stuff like that is like there the 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 idea of um raw power is to be respected that like it's weird to read old books and texts that like completely there's no like now now uh, a lot of um a lot of like western cinema and stuff like that has made it like uh, uh like action cinema has has they put a veil of justice like they need to give you a reason that it's okay for them to go do all this violence that you just get off on but back in the day not necessarily. It was just like, no, if somebody could destroy something, someone, if they could, like you said, impose their will, not consent, that was like good. That was like they, they had, there was glory in that, you know, just like the power, the raw power was to be respected and, and admired. I, I don't know. So I think like getting back the, this question that is a pickle to me is like how to create a healthy relationship that you are like, okay, that's another thing. I realized when I started doing martial arts and stuff like that, I'm very lucky that nobody in my family was ever physically abusive, like ever. So physical violence was, I, I thought to myself, this was like a double-edged sword when I started to do like more like contact combat sports and stuff. I felt all of a sudden, this is a weird comparison, but well, not really. Cause I always talk about like the sex and violence duality and the, con- and the consent and that they're very similar. I, I was thinking like when you're a teenager, before you've ever kissed anybody and like, it feels so impossible to cross this physical divide. You're like, there's like a fucking force. Oh my God. And at some point as you grow up and become more like you've done it. And now you, now it's like, okay, kissing somebody is in your social lexicon. Like when it's appropriate and you're like, ah, go for it. You go for it. It doesn't feel like this no man's land that if you try to come out of the trenches, you're all, you're just getting machine gun. You know what I mean? weird metaphor but you know what i'm saying uh, vice versa i was like i realized one day with uh after doing a lot of combat sports that an anxiety of physical contact had disappeared where now violence felt like part of a social lexicon and i was like oh the real like one of the real awful tragedies and realities of of putting violence in people's life of like hitting a kid or something like that isn't just that you've done them physical violence or assaulting somebody. Isn't just that you've – it's not the, the semi – like the, the short window of the, of the pain that you've caused them. It's that you've taught them that's a part of the social lexicon is when somebody can't handle their feelings or can't you know, communicate with an, by another means, now they can do that. And that like they'll carry that forward and do it to other people as well. So I'm like thinking to myself – it makes sense that somebody – that you'd have a response one way or the other. That you'd either go like, oh, damn, someone victimized me. I'm going to be powerful now and I will carry that ability to victimize in the future and that's actually good and correct. And other people would have this abhorrent response where they say, that was horrible. I never want to do that to anybody. And like how do you cultivate a thing where you're like – basically how do I get it where like people who hate violence also know they're allowed to do it to protect other people and themselves and people who think violence is really fucking cool get used to the idea that it's fucking – horrible and like feel afraid of it 
and afraid of hurting people. <laughs> you know, how do we create yeah. this balance, this appropriate relationship in people? I mean, I think it's really difficult. I mean, look, no. Or, or, or sorry, last little thing, little, little anecdote. Or, or how do you fucking understand, get people to understand the consent thing even? Like I was talking to a friend because I love jujitsu, right? And I've been a big proponent that I think jujitsu makes people better people. There's no way you can do it without it making you a better person. That's fucking wrong because a lot of the people who like are big boys in jujitsu are completely reactionary fascists. And I had one friend who, uh, cause I've been saying a lot and I do think it's true. It's like the banning of chokeholds and stuff. It's like fucking stupid. It's like that has nothing to do with the systemic problems. They've been banned. And frankly, if you were not a racist or terrified or like violent person, a good blood choke is the safest, is a really safe way to put somebody out and just go like, okay, stop. You just don't keep fucking murdering them. That anyway, but, but like, I would think that that would be correct. My friend was like, that's not correct. What, what like he does jujitsu too and was saying, you know, told me this story about like when he was new white belt and this like guy who was a cop he trained with had him in a Kimura and like didn't respect his tap as a white belt and was like people can't tap in the street, you know? And it's like it it's like completely breaking the contract of what makes jujitsu function. You know, and you're like, okay, so this guy's a fucking psycho. Like how do you and so I'm like, clearly I'm wrong, you know, that like universally people will do this sport that humbles you and it'll make you not be such a piece of shit. Do you know what I mean? Like, so where does it come from? Why are some people so fucking cruel? And like Terry said, the system isn't broken. It's working perfectly in the way it was designed. It's true. I don't know. That's I know right. this is like an impossible question, but it's like, that's where I'm stuck uh, with, you know? Look, yeah, look, I mean, I think the, <sighs> there have been violent psychos since there have been people, you know? And you're not going to prevent just because it seems like, uh, you know, there is like the nature and nurture process sure. that kind of give rise to that behavior. You know, I, I just don't think it's productive to and some people should do this. And I I respect and I'm interested in their research agendas, but trying to understand the precise inputs and outputs that lead to psychopathy like that's I'm not that interested in that. What I am interested in is making sure those people never get into positions of authority. And the problem is that we have systems that reward behavior. We have, we have systems that reward narcissism, manipulation. That's why there's a disproportionate number of sociopaths running fortune 500 companies and in politics, you know, because precisely those traits, narcissism, self-promotion, shallow charm, these are things that help people to get ahead. When we're going to have, if if we're going to have professions allow people to violate the social contract and put their hands on other people without their consent, we just have to have incredibly rigorous systems in place that prevent psychopaths from getting into those jobs and that right. prevent psychopathic cultures from taking root. And the only way to do that is to have unremitting, unceasing, um, uh, what is the word? Transparency and inspection of those people at all times. They they just can't be entitled to privacy ever. Yeah. All of their interactions have to be scrutinized. Absolutely. So, you know, it's incredibly, it's an incredible privilege, incredible um, placement of trust in people that most important thing in our social contract is that I'm free. I am free pursue my goals as long as they don't hurt anybody else. I mean, that's the basic assumption. Right. 
That means that you don't ever get to touch me unless I am going to really hurt somebody else. So if we're going to have people enforce that rule, we have to be scrutinized at all times. Mm -hmm. If there's even the smallest violation of the rules around that scrutiny, they need to be immediately gone. There there can be zero room for error. That's, that's the reality. I think the idea and of what we're, we're just not there because people don't care about violating the right. consent rules around minorities. We just don't care about that. Don't. You know, that's interesting. I, I, I keep thinking about this thing this week and that just came back into my head too is, you know, the Margaret Atwood thing that she said about, um, uh, you know, that the, the biggest fear a woman has of a man is that he will kill her. And the biggest fear a man has of a woman is that she will laugh at him. Right. I feel that that metaphor carries through to like basically white people, like the like the, the notion of the Karen, you know, the the ruling class that will use the arm of violence for anything. They see, they, they you know they see a, a a a black person birding and and they don't like that they told them to put their dog on a leash, and so they will threaten their life with the or or even even to me to me when she is making that phone call and saying what she's saying into the phone. That is the same as flashing a gun at somebody. She is she is like brandishing a fucking gun at somebody. And it's almost more – it is. It's worse than brandishing a gun at somebody because not only are you implicitly uh, – not only are you threatening someone's life and saying I could kill you, but you're saying like I don't even need – I could get one of my servants to kill you. That My servants that I have set up in fucking society to do what – that's – and this idea that there's like – it makes me very upset. I'm getting very emotional. That like the idea that we're living in this world where we have created a structure where um, one type of person is, I don't know, just has ensured this iniquity and this like willfulness that if I can't get a fucking haircut, I'm allowed to come threaten to murder cops. And they go, good point, sir. Good point. And that like if we are actually murdering a kind of person, that those people when they burn down a target, we're like, oh, these fucking <laughs> – you know, it's, it's scary it's white, and sucks to live in that world. It's in, it's, it's a white people's pride and comfort is more important than the lives of black people mm-hmm. and people of color. That that's what it is. So yeah, and I think that's what I was. Is, how do you get people to differentiate what actual? Because you were saying this word freedom, right? Like that's the thing I thought about a lot. Like this epiphany that socialist thought is actually about freedom. Like this idea that it's been seized. You're like, you're guaranteeing, you're trying to create the freedom for people to express themselves however they want and have their actual lives and not be like under the thumb of like fucking bills to like decide what kind of human or dignity they're going to be. You know, like, like real freedom. How do you get people to like, when I think when, you know, cops have their authority threatened, they think their life is being threatened. You know, when they are threatened with discomfort or just, or, or threatened with the idea of saying like, hey, just ignore other people living their own life, doing what they want to do. That's not violence against you. You know, having a boundary, you having a, like, I don't like people that are loud or different than me. <laughs> you know, like that's not violence against you. I don't think white people understand that. Like, do you know what I mean? Like as a culture, as like the capital white people, you know what I'm saying? Yes, which is why, you know, banning chokehold is not the issue. It needs to be banning any physical contact at all for any reason other than imminent threat of death. Yeah, that's fucking true. That's really true. That's actually that, good. That's, that's the only reason people should put their hands on other people ever. 
from a from a you know legal perspective. Yep. I but do, do you know what I'm saying? Like that question of like, how does that happen? That some people get the idea that a little bit of inconvenience and in their life is the same been as taught, being attacked. They've been, they've been taught that through centuries of systemic racism. <laughs> That's yeah. been taught that message, and it's been reinforced for them because it's been true. I mean, that's tr- it's true in our culture. That's why people think that. They're right, our culture. Yeah, you're right. You're right. They're right. To your point about, like, how much time to spend on this, I think it makes sense that people spend a lot of time, like, preparing for violence and accumulating the accoutrement of violence, you know, because it's such a, like, existential problem. Like, right. it's, it's just, it's like the only on-off switch in life, right? I mean... Now, if you fuck up that preparation, then that's it. Other preparation, you can kind of skate by. So I think that's why it makes sense that people devote so much cognitive resource to it. The other piece is that, you know, it's more fun and a little bit easier than doing the other stuff, which actually comprises the bulk of our everyday lives and interactions. It's probably more important for us to spend time thinking about, okay, oh, I have like hard conversations with people in my life. Why, like, yes. my work promote an alternative agenda? You know, how do I, uh, you know, get skilled rhetorically so that I can have conversations with people with other views that just don't evolve into screaming matches? Like, how do we do all that stuff that really shifts culture? How do I, you know, how do I do like the hard work of anti racism myself? You know what yep. I mean? Um, how do you, like, Lots of strategies that are, I think, um, effective, more effective than like buying pallets of ammo, you know, but yeah. not as fun as buying pallets of ammo. Yeah. You know, that, you yeah, know I think that that's is, really... that is the hard thing. That is hard. It is hard to know, like, the not, the not screaming match one is tough. How do I just not scream at people? How do you get people to not see it? Yeah. Well, it's hard. I mean, there's some evidence to suggest that certain that like a conservative political ideology, people who are very embrace their identity as conservatives, that they score higher on cognitive rigidity measures. So I think it is actually just more difficult for them to integrate new information. Now, that's true about extreme liberals too. I mean, anybody with an extreme ideology is tends to be more rigid on the like um, cognitive rigidity measures. It was particularly true for people who identify as conservatives you know i mean yeah but you know it's challenging um i think uh i think i think it's important maybe on some level too to like engage like to examine yourself if the notion of nonviolence um is something you believe in truly because you don't like the that you think it's a failure of communication and you feel like there's nothing more abhorrent than humans hurting each other or if it's just because you're afraid of Violent people, do you know what I mean? Because I think, with at least in my experience with like liberals and stuff, I think a lot of it's more rooted in like, don't hurt. I'm sorry, you know, like fear, fear of victimization is not a coherent argument against against violence. I mean, and fear I want of victimization, who have a fear of victimization to empower themselves. Terry said the phrase liberation from fear, and I and I agree with that. I w- I wish for that for my friends who are good hearted people. And, and people out there who deserve justice and stuff to deserve it to like gird their spirit with that. But then I want uh, fascists to fucking learn that other people feel pain <laughs> and not like joy and fucking cruelty. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the issue is like, I forget who wrote this, but, you know, people always kind of caricature the argument that's traditionally been the right wing argument for owning guns, which is like, well, the government has drones and bombs, you know, uh, the idea isn't that yes. the right wing argument is not that they're going to literally you know, have a ground war with the U.S. government. It's right. that people are less likely right. to result to violence as a first resort if they know you are armed and prepared to resist that's it that's the argument it's that's a deterrence argument, argument. it's a it's, it's so, like a, that's what i was saying now a personally i think it's a political statement is like you're you know to have it is just to have like a rifle or whatever just that you're not never going to shoot you're never it's it's and i honestly think that's a thing people don't want to look at but i def i kind of think the psychopaths protesting for two things one, the psychopaths protesting for haircuts with rifles all over them obviously are part of the system to uh, be protected by – that they're being protected by it. That the, that, the, that the cops there who are like, yes, sir, I, I agree, sir, are like on their side. So there's that. But I also uh, think – I mean – I also think so though, funny to me. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I mean those people are – in far more danger of dying from heart disease and diabetes oh, than yeah. they are from Antifa. But 100%. like Antifa, hilarious. The other side of it, though, is part of me thinks like if protests were what they are now, I don't want to even say this, but I, th- th- I was going to say just nonviolent, peaceful expressions of this stuff, and they just happen to have like deacons for defense and justice. So they just had groups of people around who are also armed. As a political statement, not to have shooting matches with the cops, obviously. That would be an incredible, oh, atrocious, 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 atrocious failure. It would be, it'd be an atrocity. I mean, it would be horrible. Nobody wants that. But I think it's a political – and I think – I really think if it was – like not just like a lone gunman psycho. That's the other thing is you know, somebody was um, – I think it was a Boogaloo guy. So those guys fucking suck and it's like whatever. But one of those guys was like alone open carrying or something like that and he got killed. Like, it can't be, like, one person showing up in March like that. It has to be something organized and disciplined with a group of people as an expression. And then it's a political thing that says, like, this – that oppression of uh, – systemically will have a cost. Like, coming in and trying to do this will have a cost. And it changes the calculations in someone's – it honestly is the same as in the microcosm of um, of uh, interpersonal violence. I, my first martial arts instructor said to me – so, like a lot of the lessons of like rhetoric lessons and philosophy lessons of my first Kung Fu teacher, I feel like have really been true and stood stood through. And he had a, he's a scary guy. He had like really scary presence. I feel like yeah, I've never met somebody who had like such good like snake eyes, like such such like dead eyed. Like when he turned it on, you're like you're the scariest person I've ever seen. You know, sometimes a little bit of a bully, but like a good lesson. You know that he one thing he said is like people don't like to fight people; they like to beat the shit out of people. And if they feel like they're gonna exactly. get a fight out of you, they're a lot less likely to instigate that violence and there's different ways that they can get that message usually i think it's not because you are puffing your chest up back that's a sign of fear and that's a sign of like two people accelerating each other and two fearful creatures getting themselves into a frenzy so that they can scuffle and not hurt each other for a few seconds and people can pull them back or if one of them does you know do real violence because they're scared and, and hurts them really bad versus if you are just not rising to it but it doesn't bother you. You're like, if that's a choice you want to make that you want to fight, okay. <laughs> you know, if you don't seem that it's just something in your lexicon, 
that 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 like kind of turns off here's another thing I got from on killing that was very profound and important for people to understand who abhor violence is one thing they talk about in the book is that when soldiers were more likely to shoot the enemy was almost always when they were retreating that they had a lot easier time humans had a lot easier time shooting people in the back and that there's something in people where like we think that if we are small and pathetic and go please no blah blah That'll make people see you as pathetic and go, oh, my God, and see themselves and go, I'm going to stop being horrible. Unfortunately, it is true that on uh, some horrible reptile level, that same thing with dogs. When dogs are scary and, like, if you run away from them, they'll chase you. There is something in predatory people. I mean, this is Jared. I'm not the psychologist here. Nick is a psychologist. So none of this is, like, but this is just the thing I've encountered and was in this book. Is, like, if you act pathetic and weak, predators pursue it harder it empowers them to be more cruel and they continue being cruel and i think there's some weird like deep survival instinct about it too that's like a weird like herd kind of thing that's like this is a weak one we have to kill this one this one's like pathetic we need to kill it. it's not going to be tough or something like that and they just can they pour it on they're more cruel versus if you are not afraid and if you are like no you can fight me but you're going to get fucking hurt you're going it's going to be bad for you and it doesn't bother me if that's what you want to do is um set something off that's like not, the predator goes they're not responding how they're supposed to they're not cowering they're not like trying to get out of it so there's something deflating and confusing and i kind of think that there's yeah. something true about that on like a political scale as well i mean well on easy targets nobody if you have a choice between an easy target and a hard target no one's going to choose the hard target yeah i just want people who are like i want people to know that they're beautiful and perfect and they should be brave (laughs) and i don't like the world you know deserve you deserve i'm fucking mad dude i hate this fucking situation i think it's hard to change it's it's hard you know it's very hard to change culture very very hard I think I actually, you know, and of course the kind of like conservative shrieking is like, oh my God, they're canceling cops and took away Elmer Fudd's gun, which I do think is a little dumb, but <laughs> canceling cops, I think it's good. Little, like, it's we don't need to see any more, we don't need to see any more like cop shows where the good cop crosses the line to get the bad Definitely guy. Like, we just don't need that. that narrative anymore. No, we don't need that narrative anymore. We need other narratives and we just shouldn't be paying for that kind of entertainment it's i mean just look at just look at the fucking when faced with all of the choices from pop culture symbology to choose who's gonna represent is it superman is it the person from a an alien from another planet who has all the power in the world to do whatever the fuck he wants. Nothing will ever hurt him. And what he chooses to do is to protect people different from him. Do they choose the Superman symbol? <laughs> or do they pick the unhinged fucking war veteran whose whole family died who thinks the only answer to anybody who disobeys authority is a bullet? They want the skull, baby. They want that fucking punisher. That's who they think they are. You know? It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, that's why these kind of like gestures at reform are just not going to be effective. We need to proceed from the assumption, in my view, that you can't touch anyone unless they're going to kill somebody. I think that's a very and, good rule. And, and if you mess up, 
If you shoot them because you think their cell phone was phone, that's it. You're done. It's a one time. Your judgment can't yeah. be trusted. If you make a so if you make a mistake, if you make an error, sorry, that's it. Just like in another job that with much lower stakes consequences, like oh, I think this can be a good stock trade. Oops, I lost five hundred million dollars. Well, you're fired, buddy. I mean, you know, that's well, it. that might See not be a great example, but. <laughs> Pack your shit, you know? I mean, but you it, know what it I mean? Just... those people also like get to fucking destroy the American economy and just keep doing it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah they get hired at another department too. But, but that's the point. It's like, you know, if you, if you make the wrong call, you're done. It's one and done. That's it. And every decision has to be subject to public scrutiny. And if that sounds really hard and not fun, I get it. And it's not the job for you. It's not the job for you just don't need people out there putting their hands on people because they're like I'm in drunk or like rude or like playing their music too loud or right whatever whatever the fuck Making you don't like people uncomfortable learn what a boundary actually is respect that other people exist I'm fucking real anyway <laughs> all right well you know I don't think we got any like resolutions here today or anything obviously I don't think they're ever I don't know that that'll ever happen <laughs> but um Thanks for letting us, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Terry, especially, thank you for your contributions. Those were very good, very helpful, always. I um, I love you guys. That's, I don't know, I'm, I'm worried about things. I guess I just stay like, I'm really into this idea of a warrior in a garden thing. Like, better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Just be sure that you don't become obsessed with the warrior part and don't become too angry. And, and keep doing your regular yeah. life. <laughs> My girlfriend was like, well, you're doing all this Still yeah. needs to like plant the vegetables. Exactly. You know what I mean? Or, or maybe like fold the laundry. <laughs> like while I'm like, you know, Googling, I'm like all my prepping and stuff like that. I'm like, there's a lot of other, she's like, I appreciate it. She, she, this is what she said to me yesterday, which was actually really good. She was like, I love you. But she was like, I think we're spending two to four hours a day talking about like these things. And it's good. I'm glad we're like thinking about whatever. She's like, I feel like you are like, Constantly talking to me about this lifeboat you're putting together. You got to put this lifeboat together. And um, and meanwhile, I'm like, I, I still have to drive the cruise ship. Like, I still have to drive the big ship right now. I Thank you. It's good. It's not. But there's still the ship to drive. And I was like, yes, that is a good. You are smart and good. Thank you. Uh, um, <laughs> they, Terry, that's good. Rest is resistance. You're right. You're right. We should, We all have to. That's. I just think this is just. I love I have been exposed to so many wonderful people because of the internet. The whole thing that the internet is like this cesspool. It is. It's full of horrible idiots. But I've also met so many like wonderful people from all different walks of life who feel like the system leaves them out. Whether it's because uh, obviously you're BIPOC or something like that. But like or just, you know, maybe you're poor or maybe you are neuroatypical or like there's just something about you. A queer stuff, obviously. Like I mean, all these people who like the system leaves them out and they're just good people. They're like wonderful people. And I just want those people to be safe. And I want to like do everything we can to move towards a future where that, that is, that flourishes. And that, and I honestly think we'll get there as a species. I think we'll fucking get there. We will, but I don't know how many more bumps it's going to go through. And I think it's just, it's just tough. I was, I was listening to some stuff about world war two stuff. And one thing they talked about, about like the insidious nature of fascism is that like in conflict, in war, uh, that civil rights often go first. You know, they like they, that civil rights don't survive conflict very well. And even if you watch that uh, Las Sandinistas, this like wonderful documentary about them, 
they talk about like how basically they built a paradise. They had this like workers revolution and it was amazing. And then, uh, you know, the Contras get funded and like all this atrocities start happening. And in within the power structures, like things started to change. Women's like rights started to go away and stuff. And that like civil rights start to disappear under these horrible things. And that there's this insidious nature of like fascism on some level can be in fighting fascism. It wins automatically because you have to take on qualities of fascism to fight it back, to defeat it. Because they glorify violence and they glorify hierarchy and they glorify obeisance and, and they, they, that's things they believe in. And to stop that, sometimes you need to stop it as well, you know? And, uh, and so I just think maybe that's part of it is there's a, in good hearted people, there's a fear of becoming that horror that like if you, use the thing that was used to victimize you like violence or, or something like that to stand up for yourself then. And that's what they do. That is the narrative. That is what they're trying to do right now. They say like, look at these violent people burning down fucking buildings, these looters, you know, they're trying to do it. They project their insane cruelty and violence onto the world and use it as an excuse to do it more. I just think like, don't get tricked by that and know that you and other people who are good people like deserve to be well and protected and i think we'll get to a place it's just it's just that thing of the again warrior in a garden it's like how can we do the things that are abhorrent to us to protect people who need those protections and to stand up for them and to be and ourselves and be prepared for that so you're not just steamrolled by this cruel horrible system and how do you have those conversations with other people who start to go, who say that, who are like these looters? Or My dad is a wonderful person, honestly. Like, I think he's a really good guy, very liberal, but like, lit, like, live a little bit. You know, he's like in that sort of mindset, but like, he's friends with like all different kinds of people living on the south side of Chicago. Like, those are his friends. He's, he's not racist at all, but, uh, race, he's not racist at all, but this isn't even about race. This is a class. This is like a socialism thing. He's getting the same news about the Chaz, right? The autonomous zone in the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. And it's kind of like, it's crazy out there, huh? And I'm like, it's not, you know? I'm like, I don't know what the news is saying, but it's not. And it's like, people start to build these narratives where they try to say like Antifa and like, ooh, you know, I think liberals sometimes be complicit in it because you start to go like anything that's disobedient to the state, anything that's not strict pacifism is bad. And I think it needs to be recognized that that is part of the control mechanism of a violent yeah. state is to convince you yeah. that anything it's a Catholic, you know, it's shift. It's just shifting the narrative. Like right. America doesn't have a, a historical Chaz problem. It has a historical institutional racist violence. Boom. Problem. That's fucking good. Boom. That's so good. That's a good answer. It doesn't have a historical looting problem or a historical Antifa problem. Yes, it has a historical so racist system of violence and oppression problem. Boom. That's the problem. Dr. Nick, that's a good response. That's fucking so good. That's the way to, because I was trying to, like, even my brother, he's like, not into it. He's like, I just think they're fucking up. He's like, they're looking at this Burning Man thing, and it's like, it's so beside the point. It's just going to be used as an excuse to, like, da, da, da. And I was, like, struggling to be like, they're not, it's an act of protest. It's a, you know, but saying, that's a good way to put it. It's like, it is an act, these are all acts of protest. There are not systemic problems of this. This is a statement that says what you think is systemically okay when you don't see precincts and targets burning down and you don't see people occupying a, like government part of the and saying, hey, pay attention. That when you don't see that shit, that doesn't mean there's not fucking violence every fucking day being done to people to keep you from seeing that shit. 
It's just totally irrelevant. I mean, totally the irrelevant. Se- Seattle has better outcomes than like other than their horrible homeless problem, which is like non-trivial and terrible. And it's okay. non. Yes, uh, Seattle tax base supports like you know state of Mississippi, so, and their health outcomes are ten times better. So yeah. I, I'm not a huge fan of Chaz. I just don't think it matters. Like, good for them. Go ahead. You yeah. know, fine. But it's not it's not the issue. And people on the right want to make it the issue, but that's not the issue. Yeah, it's not it's not. When people are like when people are like, uh, oh, see how it's like the same thing when people say, like, oh, you're socialist? Capitalism built that iPhone. You're tweeting about it. Why don't you go to a fucking island and start over from scratch with like sticks and stones and do a society like that? It's like that's not the fucking are you out of your mind? We're saying that workers already own the means of production. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it's not that society, the notion that, mm, do you know what I'm saying? It's disingenuous to say like, oh, Chaz is running out of water and power. Let's see how well their little fucking autonomous state does when we cut off the water and power. It's like, you fucking idiot. Don't be so, you know what I mean? Uh, see, this is my problem. I just scream at people. That's where I'm come to. Yeah. You are smarter than me. And that is a really good, that is a really fucking, that is the right way to do it. That, I think that's a really wonderful if you could calmly say, well, there's not a systemic looting problem in this country. There's a systemic killing people who are minorities problem with state violence. And and furthermore, when they say, like, they kill white people, too. It's like also including the stats of, like, obviously it's so disproportionately not white people. You should also be like, oh. doesn't that upset you? Why is your, why are you saying like, we're, we don't care when they fucking do it to some of the people that look like us. Why do they care? Besides getting into, it's like, just go like, why doesn't that fucking make you mad that somebody can just do that? Violence is not a thing that the state should be allowed to do to you fucking ever. Oh, there, the problem is that when you give people enough room, the narrative that they come to is because they're racist, come to the narrative that, well, they should stop committing so many crimes. That's what you hear right. from people. And the answer to that is that research shows clearly that white and black people commit crimes at the same rates. They use the same rates of drugs. You have the same rates 100%. of all kinds of other crimes, the same rates. And it's just that one group of people is disproportionately policed, arrested, forced to accept plea bargains, and then imprisoned. <laughs> For, yes, that that's the difference. You know, white people smoke just as much weed. They do just as much coke. They do just oh, as yeah. much meth. They beat their wives just as much. It's all the, the, it's human behavior. It's pretty much the same rates. It's just one group of people is mercilessly policed. So you know, that's yes. the answer. Okay, that was good. Maybe 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 that could be a theme of an upcoming episode. Is just like because that's something I see a lot, and I think it's true. How hard it is to have these conversations. And maybe we'll like talk more about some of that is like, yeah, we can. I mean, the bottom line is, you know, it's good to open with the question. Are you somebody who's able to change their view based on evidence? That's if you get something other than a yes, I don't think it's worth it. That's a good point because then I guess the subsequent follow-up would be like, what would count as evidence to you? (laughs) Like what would, what would make you, what, what are you not going to go like fake news? I think this thing that OAN or whatever fucking is true, you know, that's the problem. All right. Yeah, it's, it, we are living in 1984. It's like, don't believe the evidence of your eyes and ears. You know? War is peace. Okay. Well, love you guys. Love you, Dr. Nick. Thank you so much. That was really good. I'm just, I'm glad we stuck around a little longer than usual. That last thing you said uh, about we don't have a Chaz problem. We don't have a rioting problem in this country. We have a police violence problem. It's like fucking primo shit. I love that. 
Um, all right. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here. Um, you know, you can support the pod at mygoodbadbrain.com. Uh, get shirts and shit. You can also get uh, go to Patreon if you want to support Jared Enterprises. Um, Patreon.com slash mygoodbadbrain. But you can also just be donating that money to a million different Black Lives Matter causes that are out there. Or like the Okra Project. Or just like, you know, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things you'd be giving money to. So, do that. Okay, um, that's it. That's it. Take care of yourself. Self-care and hydrate. Be well. Terry said here, yes, rest is resistance as well. Please take care of yourselves and just get fucking strong. Get ready. Stand up for yourself and protect your communities. I love you. Okay, bye. All right, we'll stop now. Okay, bye. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, My Good Bed Brain is a production of Mind Jam Media. That's my little media company. Thanks to uh, Coda for making this theme song with me. And uh, that's it. MyGoodBedBrain.com. Patreon.com slash MyGoodBedBrain. You're the best. Have a good one. Self-care. Hydrate. Be well. (laughs) Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.